0: Good morning. Happy Independence Day weekend. It's exciting, isn't it? It's just a great, well, it's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful opportunity to be together as the body of Christ, to be together with family, uh, to celebrate uh, the freedoms that our nation has given us, to remember the sacrifices of those who sacrifice themselves, um, and members of their family in order for us to enjoy those freedoms. Uh, it's an incredible time for us uh, to, to ponder and to think about those things. We're grateful this morning. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for the choir. It's great to have them back, isn't it? I'm grateful for... Uh, for uh, Dave Prince, he helped us get our new flag. We got a new flag and we mounted it there on the wall. It looks really good. And uh, we wanted to have that up for us today. And um, I'm just grateful for you as a congregation. Uh, Last week was so exciting, wasn't it? Uh, to see uh, the generosity of this congregation. And, and this week, it was so, so exciting to bless all those different ministries and just to see them light up as they, rem- as, as they were excited that the Kirk remembered them and uh, is a partner with them in the work that they're doing in this city. It's exciting. It's exciting all that God is doing. Well, today is exciting as well because we're going to end our study of the book of Romans, okay? This is our last passage, I promise, our last passage in the book of Romans for a while. Next Sunday we'll be in Genesis, okay? You can't get any more different than, uh, than, than that. So we will we will conclude. We started by talking about Mr. Rogers, right? And uh, so today I thought we'd end by talking about Sesame Street. Um, Do you remember the song, uh, Who are the people in your neighborhood? Who are the people in your neighborhood? The people that you meet when you're walking down the street, right? I'm not going to sing it for you because you you would all leave. But I, you know, I look at this picture and I think about Sesame Street, I think about what it did. It it was a show that one of their major themes was to highlight the different kinds of people that children encounter in their lives, right? Uh, We have black people, we have white people, we have Hispanic people, we have big birds and frogs and monsters of all sorts, right? All different kinds of people that come together, old people, adults, young people, children. We have all these people that come together and it was important. For this show to try to represent that and talk about how do we live together as a community. Well, if this is true for PBS in our own culture, then it certainly is true for the Apostle Paul as he begins to speak to the people of Rome in the Roman church, because the Roman church was a very, very diverse church, it was full of Jews and it was full of Greeks, and it was full of Romans. And all of those people are different, different languages, different cultures, different traditions, different backgrounds. It was full of people that were wealthy. It was full of people that were slaves or had been slaves and every economic level in between. It was a very diverse church. And in that diversity, there is potential for all kinds of problems, isn't there? With that diversity comes a difference in convictions about how to best honor God and to worship Him. Some people in Rome had restrictions on the kinds of foods that they could eat. Namely, the the Jews, right? They can't eat certain kinds of food. They can't eat certain foods with other foods, right? Can't mix your dairy with with your meat, right? All those different restrictions about food. And that affects table fellowship in the church. There were restrictions about the days that were to be honored, like Sabbath days or other days maybe that came out of the pagan calendar that were important to different people. You see, our approach to God in many ways is determined by our culture. There are certain things that our culture builds into our mind about the way we are to approach God. The experiences that we've had, the training that we receive, the worldview that we have and the way that we approach God in many ways is determined and affected by our culture. The Apostle Paul In his understanding, he sees the more spiritually mature, he calls them the strong, as those who understand grace and freedom. In other words, these are the people that really understand the gospel. They've really understood it. They've they've captured the word of God and come to understand the truth of the gospel. They are the mature, they are the strong, and they are... They understand grace and they understand freedom. The weak in his understanding and his discussion here are those that are bound by legalism. Those that still are operating under the religious paradigm that has shaped their view of God. Today we're going to look at three instructions on how to live in freedom while we maintain our unity in the midst of all the diversity that exists in our world and in in our church. So let's talk about the first of those instructions. The first instruction is don't focus on others. Don't focus on others. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? You see, the Romans understood this because it was a city that was full of slaves. And they understood the relationship between slaves and their masters. And somebody else's slave, they responded to their master, not to you. All right? So that was an important understanding for them. Don't judge someone else's servant. Remember all the questions that the Pharisees asked Jesus if you study through the Gospels, those of you who are in the well, who studied the book of Mark with me, uh, or in my Wednesday Bible studies, remember in chapters 2 and 3, there's this intense period of questioning, and the Pharisees are asking all these questions of the disciples of Jesus, like, why don't your disciples fast? When everyone uh, everyone else's disciples fast? And why do they eat with unwashed hands? And why do they break the Sabbath laws? They kept asking these questions. So these rabbis who were Pharisees kept asking questions of the rabbi Jesus about his disciples. And the point was, they're his disciples. They're Jesus' disciples. They weren't the disciples of the Pharisees. So why were they so concerned about someone else's disciples, someone else's students? It's easy for us to see the problem there, but yet we do the same thing, don't we? Everyone in this room is a Christ follower. Everyone here is a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're not my disciple. And you're certainly not the disciple of the person sitting across the aisle from you. You're Jesus' disciple, but yet we have a tendency in the church to judge one another. To look at one another and pass judgment on each other because we forget the fact that we all belong to Jesus Christ. And Jesus is our master. I want you to look at verse 10. Verse 10 in this passage says this, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Why do you judge your brother or sister? We're all going to stand before God's judgment seat. You see, God is the one that wears the black robe. He's the one with the gavel in his hand. He is the judge. We're not the judge. That is not a responsibility that God has delegated to us. It's not one of his communicable attributes. There are other things that he wants us to imitate him in. But being the judge is not one of them. Why? Because being the judge is reserved for someone who has perfect justice. And we do not have perfect justice. I think about all the times that I have judged someone. And then later, I find out more information, and I realize, oh, snap. I blew it. I judged them based on what I knew, but what I knew was not complete. And therefore, my judgment was incorrect. And I may have acted upon that judgment. I may have done damage to that person. Or I may have gossiped about them. Or shared prayer requests, right? About them in reference to the judgment that I had made. But yet it was wrong because I had incomplete information. Well, God is the only one that has all the information, right? God is the one who knows the thoughts and the intents of people's hearts. And therefore, judgment is reserved for him not for us. Not for us. We have to remember this, folks. God has given us a command to love, not to judge. But yet we want to judge. We like being the judge. Why? Because it makes us feel better about ourselves right? Because if we can judge others uh, and their spirituality, then that makes us feel spiritually superior. And I think that's why judgment exists in the context of the church, because we have a tendency to want, we're insecure enough about our, in the heart of our hearts, we know that we are not that great, right? And so we want to make judgments on other people, pass judgment upon them, so that we feel better about who we are, and our position with the Lord and our spirituality. But it's a mistake. It's not what God has called us to do. You know, we're all in different starting places in the race that we call the Christian life. We are all in different places. And I think about the Christian life as a race. The Bible talks about it as a race all the time. And I think about my own life and my own experience. I've had tremendous advantages in my life. Both of my parents came to know Jesus when I was just a little kid, and they were in love with the Lord. They loved the Lord. They weren't perfect, They made a lot of mistakes, but they loved the Lord, and they lived an example of godliness before me. They took us to church, and we went to a church that actually preached the gospel. Now, you might think, well, that's not a big deal. It is in New Jersey. (laughs) They actually, by the divine intervention of God, found a Methodist church that actually preached the gospel, And we learned the gospel. We learned to respect the word of God. And I had the opportunity to grow up in that. I had a youth pastor who was a total goofball. His name was Mark, but he left an impression in my life. He discipled me. I remember the college minister that I had through InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, a student ministry, and that guy coached me in leadership. I had all kinds of advantages in my life. And so as I began the race of the Christian life, I was way out ahead before I ever started. Think about other people. I think about my wife, Leda. Her mom was a Christian, but her dad was not. If your father is not a Christian and not a particularly nice man... Is that going to affect the way that you see God? Is that going to affect the paradigm that you have about who God is? Absolutely. Is that an obstacle that you need to overcome before you can even begin to run the race of the Christian life? Yes, it is. And then I think about other people, people that maybe have been abused in their life maybe physically or or sexually as children or or people that were neglected as children where are they starting in their christian life i think about people that grew up without any background in the church, they didn't have any Christian background at all. They're people like that, right? Or maybe they grew up in another religion, a completely different picture of how to worship the divine, right? How much do they have to come, overcome? How far back are they starting in the race? You know, God has called us as a church to reach out to the lost. Do we want to be a church that reaches the lost? Well, if we do, and the answer is yes, right? The answer is yes, we do want to reach the lost. But it's not easy because why are the lost? The lost, they have no experience with Jesus. And so when they come into our community and they become part of our church, they're starting way, way back in the race. We're way ahead of them, miles ahead of them in the race that they're just now beginning. And what happens when we judge them? We become another obstacle in their race, rather than helping them to run the race that God has called them to. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is so important for us, and I think possibly a paradigm for us to think about, a picture. For us to think about as we, as we think about the diversity within our church of, of spiritual maturity. Sometimes we ask, well, if people have this many disadvantages, if they're starting from a position of not knowing God at all, what would happen if the families that, from Afghanistan that we are reaching out to were to come to know Jesus and were to come and sit in our, in our church With their heads covered and their sleeves all the way down to their wrists and their ankles. How would we respond to that? How would we help them move from a place of restriction to a place of freedom? Right? That's what God is calling us to do. Can they make it? Will they stand? And the answer is yes. They can stand. They can make it. Look at what the scripture says. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. You see, God in his sovereign power is at work in the lives of people. We believe that God transforms lives, don't we? We believe that through the power of God, he completely can take a life that doesn't know him, that's completely apart from him and draw that person to himself. And he can change them. He can transform them. But while this process is happening, get your eyes off of people and allow God to do his work in them. Allow God to change them, to transform their character, to bring to light their misunderstandings of the gospel. And gently, we need to lead them and help them and care for them, not judge them. So the first instruction is take your eyes off of people. Don't focus on others. The second instruction is focus on the Lord. Focus on the Lord. Verses 6 and 7 say this, whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord, and whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God for none of us live for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. Whatever we do in life, we should do for the Lord. Amen. The way that we live our life should be for God and for God alone. We behave the way we do because we want to honor God with our lives. The question is, do we live to please the people around us? Maybe your parents, maybe your friends, maybe your spiritual leaders. We shouldn't live that way, right? The answer should be no. We don't live our life to please other people, but... If we're honest, I think a lot of times we do. We end up living our lives looking for the approval of others. I don't know about you, but that's a a problem that I have. I look for people's approval. It's kind of a natural part of my personality. But I have to look to God for his approval, not for the approval of other people. Our life should be wrapped up in Jesus for his purposes, for us. As we grow in him, he guides us. He guides our behavior. You know how God guides our behavior in this regard? I think many times it's through disappointment. I think we grow through disappointment. When people... when. We put our trust in people and then people disappoint us. It causes us to learn the lesson that our eyes should have never been on those people in the first place. Amen? It should have been on the Lord. We should have been trusting in the Lord, but yet we have this tendency to put our hope and our trust in people and look to people for approval, and people invariably will let you down. And through that process of being disappointed by people, I think God teaches us to turn our eyes to him, to trust in him alone for every aspect of our lives. Slowly we come to understand his grace in our lives. And as we do, the legalism of religion and all of the things that we once thought were so important begin to melt away as we get a clear picture of who God is and what his word is requiring of us. Eventually, we can say like Paul says in verse 8, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. This is such a powerful statement, isn't it? This is like the culminating statement of the book of Romans. It's like the culminating statement of the book of of the Christian life, right? If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we belong to the Lord. Nothing else should matter in our lives. You know, I think about this statement, and this is a pretty extreme statement, life and death. I mean, Paul talks like that because he lived a pretty extreme life, didn't he? For him, every day was life and death. Not so much for us. So what if we were to think about it this way? The good things that happen in our lives and the bad things, the difficult things that happen in our lives. So if good things happen in our lives, we live those things for the Lord. And if bad things happen in our lives, difficult things happen in our lives, then we live out those things for the Lord. So whether good things are happening or bad things are happening, our life belongs to the Lord. Amen? We all have ups and downs in life. We all live through good times and bad times. In the good times, we forget about God. But Paul is exhorting us to live honoring God in the midst of the good times. But in the bad times in life, we tend to blame God, right? God, what are you doing to me? And God is saying, Paul is saying, I mean, even if he takes me to the point of death, I'm doing it for God. I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to trust in him to work out his will and his plan in my life. Whether I live or die, whether I'm in good or bad or difficulty or the easy street, I'm going to live it out for God. I'm going to keep my eyes focused on him. When we can actually live this verse out, then we know that our focus is actually on Jesus. When we can quote this verse to ourselves and say, you know, that's true in my life today, then our eyes are on Jesus. And that's where they need to be. Our focus does not need to be on others. Our focus needs to be on the Lord. And then finally, the last instruction I want to share with you is our focus does not need to be on freedom. We cannot focus on freedom. The good news, the gospel is the gospel of freedom. Freedom from sin and freedom from the laws and the restrictions of religion. The question is, how do we handle this freedom that God has given us? How do we handle it? Well, Paul explains to us how we handle it in the coming verses, the verses we did not read earlier. And I'm going to read them to you, okay? We're going to start in verse 14. So if you have your Bible out, you can pull it out. Otherwise, just listen intently as we read uh, the rest of the chapter. Because I think this is really important. This is one of those... One of those teachings that is foundational for us as believers. Romans 14, 14, it says, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep keep between yourself and God. We'll stop there. All right. Let's talk a little bit about this. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says this, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. What is Paul saying here? He's saying that everything is permissible for us as Christians. Except for sin, of course. Right? Sin is not permissible, right? But everything, the way we live our life, it's open. God has given us freedom from all the restrictions of religion. So think about something like drinking. Drinking alcohol, is drinking alcohol permissible? And the answer is yes, but drunkenness is a sin. Is dancing permissible? You know, man, that was a big issue back in the day, right? In the church. Is dancing permissible? Yes, it's permissible. But immorality is a sin. There's no music, there's no food, there's no activities, there's no sports, there's no entertainments that are off limits to us unless they are sinful or they lead us into sin. And the issue is that each one of us have different weaknesses, don't we? There are some things that maybe I could do all day, but for another person, it would lead them to to sin because they have a weakness in that area. But there's other things that somebody else could do all day, and I couldn't even go there because it would lead me towards sin. And so Paul is saying, we have come to this place of freedom. There are not restrictions, but we've got to know ourselves, right? And we have to know what leads us into sin. And if something leads us into sin, then by golly, stay away from it. Amen? Some people can have a drink of wine with dinner. Some people can't. And if you can't, don't go there, because then it becomes sin for you right? But yet those restrictions are removed. We have freedom, but yet we have to be very careful because God wants us to live holy lives. And so we have to manage all of this. We have to be big boys and girls because we don't have religion to create boundaries and walls around us. We have freedom, but with freedom freedom comes responsibility, right? Right? to stay away from sin and to stay away from those things that will lead us personally into sin. We have a diverse community of believers that are at different stages of maturity in Christ. How do we handle this? How do we handle this in community? Verse 15 tells us, let's take a look at verse 15. It says, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, then you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Wow, what a powerful verse. Love is the key. Our tendency is to hold on to our freedoms because we believe that our freedoms are our rights, right? We have a right to our freedom. And it's true. God has given us freedom. We have a right to our freedom but yet we also have the ability to lay aside our rights don't we for the benefit of someone else love gives up its rights willingly to protect the sensitivities of someone maturing in their faith so as we live out our freedom in community And we have a great diversity of spiritual maturity in our community, in our Christian community, then we must be careful with our freedom. Because if our freedom causes someone to be in distress, then we, as the mature, as the strong, we limit our freedom for the benefit of the person that's maturing in their faith. Got it? That's what's important. That's what Paul wants us to understand. Why do we do this? Well, because people are more valuable than your freedom. People for whom Christ died are more valuable than your freedom to do whatever you want. And so we willingly limit our freedom for the benefit of the people for whom Christ died. Giving up our freedom is a chance to be truly Christ-like. Because what did Jesus do? He gave up his freedom. You see, Jesus was a spirit. The son. The exalted son. The creator of the universe. Right? He was omniscient. He was omnipresent. He had all those omnis in front of his name. And he laid all of that aside eternally to become like us to live among us, to love us. He sacrificed his freedom for the benefit of the weak, you and me. And now we have a chance at salvation because of that sacrifice. And we, when we have the opportunity to lay aside our freedom for the benefit of someone who is maturing in the faith, it's an opportunity to be truly Christ-like. There's a verse that, in the book of 1 Peter, that Talks about participating in the sufferings of Christ. I always struggle with that verse. I don't know whether I really want to participate in the sufferings of Christ. Right? How, what is How do we apply that in our life when we're not in the midst of persecution, where we don't are being, you know, we, we, we don't have the danger of dying, right, for Christ? Well, it's giving up our freedoms for others. And if that means we suffer a little bit because we're going to give up that freedom, that's okay because we're participating with Christ. Verse 17 says, the kingdom of God is more important. It says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is more important Than our freedoms. We want to advance the truth of the kingdom, the peace, the righteousness, the joy of the kingdom through the Holy Spirit. That's more important than eating and drinking and all the freedoms that we have. Is my insistence on a worship style or drinking alcohol or any other freedom causing division or stumbling for a person that is looking to me for guidance, for leadership? then it's my privilege to be like Christ and to give it up for the kingdom. This is what God is calling us to do. This weekend we celebrate our freedom. But remember, freedom is always born in sacrifice. And there's, it's better to, to sacrifice to give freedom to others than just to enjoy freedom for ourselves. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge that the Apostle Paul gives us here at the book of Romans. After laying out all of this theology for us, he brings it down to life. He brings it down to the simple hard truths of how we should live our life in love for one another, radical love for one another. May we be a community that loves one another in this way and loves our neighborhood in this way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.